5: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, Wednesday, September 7th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Uh, And uh, thank you so much for for bearing with me um, with yesterday's show and just the different uh, changes. But we do have Bruce Valanche today, so he'll be on for the second half of the show. The first half, you know, I actually had an interesting... uh, experience last night I should say I went to go visit a friend who lives in this town called um, Castro Valley and Castro Valley is maybe like I don't know 15 miles um, or so from San Francisco and it's got a growing you know diverse community but it, I, like I said it, it's growing so I end up at this bar called Crayons by the way and it's like a, a you know small town version of the Cheers bar Cheers being the television show and I meet a woman who's sitting next to me and she's probably in her mm, I don't know 40s and she's doing her nails at the bar waiting for her date and she asked me if I have a boyfriend <laughs> and I said no I don't I giggled because I mean I think I look you know super uber gay, but maybe people don't really know what gay people look like. I mean, I guess you are that's the point. You're not supposed to. But I say no, and I—and she asked why, and I told her, you know, I haven't had a boyfriend since high school, and that's because I'm gay. And she it, is accepting of it. It's just like, okay, like, whatever. Um, but then, you know, her attention turns to Colin Kaepernick, and he's on the news, uh, and we're watching it, at this bar and she starts talking about Colin Kaepernick calling him a disgrace, doesn't understand what he's doing, why he's doing it. He's a jerk face. They should burn his Jersey and then wraps up her conversation by asking me why there's a gay pride and why, why we don't have straight pride. So it really, you know, (laughs) it really opened my eyes to the fact that there, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, And this whole conversation of Colin Kaepernick and then how I found myself to find her offensive, uh, I obviously am in this position in which I think that the LGBTQ community should absolutely be standing in solidarity with the African-American community on racial issues as well as I think that other communities should stand in solidarity with the LGBTQ community when it comes to equal rights. And so I thought that the, a great person to bring on the show to have a discussion about Colin Kaepernick, diversity, racial issues, would be our good friend Sima Lieberman, who is a diversity – and professional uh, inclusionist, I guess I should say, and she's also a really good friend of mine. So let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit pacificfertilitycenter.com. Sima, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Michelle. Glad to be here as always.
5: Yeah, I really miss you. I know that you've been on the show several times. You've been on the, the television show, and you always send me notes um, when, when people
1: recognize you from the show. I know, it's always exciting when people recognize me. Yeah. And they love the show. And not only do they recognize me, but they talk about these are people who listen to the show all the time.
5: Yeah. You're not on speakerphone, right? You're, you're uh, No. Okay, good, good. I'm on um, the headset. You're on a, That's that's what it is. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback from the headset. Oh,
1: do you want me to uh, get off the headset?
5: Yeah, because I think we're we're gonna have a really important discussion. I've been waiting, you know. to okay. I know that we've talked about talking about race on the show many times, and you're doing your own thing in talking okay. about race. Um, so let's start with Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick okay. has Does that, been
1: like, sound better though.
5: Yes, I think you do. Okay. So so Colin Kaepernick has been um, in the news. And for those who don't know, he is uh, protesting, I guess, the national anthem in some way or using his own platform as a professional football player to have this bigger discussion about the racial uh, inequalities that we face here in this country. And so he's been sitting out during the national anthem. And that has caused controversy. And I would say... Brings out some of the ugliest comments, um, you know, from I guess, social media users, and even uh, like I had just mentioned, conversations in a bar. So, Sima, let's start with your thoughts on on Colin's actions. Um, people are calling it a, he he he's being disrespectful to the national anthem. What do you What do you think? I think it's
1: more disrespectful to the national anthem to. Um to support racist policies, I think it's more disrespectful to the national anthem to leave black people out of the conversation and to make racist comments. I mean, that, to me, is really disrespectful.
5: Right, right. It, it sounds like people really don't understand why he's doing it, and and they're really missing the point here. Um, when it comes to, you know, one of the things that Colin has brought up has been police brutality and the relationship of police and the African-American community, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that what he's doing, he's calling attention to it. Do I think people say, oh, he's no Martin Luther King. He never said he's Martin Luther King. He's trying to lead a movement. He never said he was. Here's this guy who's making a personal statement about... You know, it's a way of being heard that he's upset, he's angry, he's concerned, he's sad, he's all of that about inequality in the United States and what's been going on with police and, and black people and among black people. And I think he decided to set out the national anthem. I mean, people are attributing these hidden agendas and what's his agenda and he doesn't have, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think he has any And I said he has the right to do that.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's, a way, it's a way of being heard. Here's this guy who makes millions of dollars, and he is taking, it shows that he's really been thinking, he's been thinking more than just about how much money he's making. And he's not just thinking about himself, but he's thinking about other people who don't have the same kind of economic privilege that he has.
5: Right. Now, you work with companies when it comes to diversity and inclusion. The NFL um, has pretty much, you know, stood by his side in supporting Colin Kaepernick and his right to sit out during the national anthem. And also, uh, you know, the 49ers team and owners and, and and his coach have been supportive. What are your thoughts on that? And could their support impact the NFL from, you know, business standpoint?
1: Well, I think, it's one, I think it's great that they're supporting him in terms of how it could impact the NFL. I don't know. I do know that probably a lot of people who didn't really care that much about football are paying a lot more attention to it. Mm-hmm. I know he's going to have a lot more fans. I think football's going to have a lot more fans because people want to know what's going on. And also, there's a lot of people who think, I mean, and, I mean it's not just white people, but particularly white people, act like they own Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that they own him and he has no right to do whatever he's doing. But you don't own him. And, you don't have, and, and, and white people don't have a right to decide how black he is, how privileged he is, they don't have a right to say, oh, because, because these are things that I've been hearing. Oh, he has two white parents. Oh, they don't have a right to make that kind of comment.
6: Mm-hmm. They don't
1: have to be poor and be a victim of any kind of brutality or outright racism to protest and to speak out.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: That would be like saying that only, only gay people who are going to get married could have supported gay marriage.
5: Right. So here's the interesting thing is that, I mean, you're a diversity uh, professional, but also yeah. uh, a lesbian woman. You're also yeah. Jewish, um, yeah. so white. And yeah. y- y- it was very easy for you to understand why Colin Kaepernick is doing this and why, I mean, your opinion matters. But in regards to his, his actions, it really doesn't because he's doing this. Not only for himself, but his community and also, like we had talked about, to bring awareness to the issues of police brutality in the African-American community. So how do you explain it to, or how would you explain it to someone else who really doesn't understand what Colin Kaepernick is doing as a white woman who is lesbian, who is different, who is other? That's
1: a good question. I would just start talking about what was going on in this country in terms of equality. And then I, in general, and then I would talk about um, what's happening to, to black people, uh, especially lower income black people who don't have the same kind of access and power that Colin Kaepernick has. And I would talk about the fact that people don't notice a lot of inequality until somebody causes them to notice.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you look at, I'm not saying that he's trying to start a movement or anything like that. I mean, you know, he may have no strategy at all. This might just be his individual expression. But that's how things start. Things start by somebody taking an action that makes some people uncomfortable.
5: Right, right. Well, speaking of is he starting a movement or not? I mean, you have other athletes who have joined him or standing in solidarity with his actions and that, you know, it, it, it reaches outside even the NFL just the other day. It yeah. had been reported that uh, U.S. professional soccer player, um, and out lesbian soccer player, um, Megan Rapinoe had also taken a knee during the national anthem before a game, and she had talked about need the need to stand in solidarity if we really want change. With yeah. what Kellen Ka- Kaepernick is doing, what do you what do you think? Uh, I mean, because we struggle with this in the LGBTQ community. Especially, like if I want to, you know, j- just to remind folks. Um, during marriage equality or the fight for marriage equality, we struggled with reaching out to cultural communities for them to, to understand where we're coming from. We didn't really do a good job addressing intersectionality and how that applies to movement building or the movement that we are trying to create. So you've been around for, for, I don't want to, I don't want to make you sound, I don't want to make you sound, but you've said it yourself, but you've been an activist for, and, and, uh, you know, for a while now and you've seen, you've seen this all. So kind of give us, uh, your opinion about the need for other people to come together if we're really serious about change,
1: well, if we're really serious about change, absolutely. Because I mean, when you look at when you look at the way change has occurred in the past, it hasn't been just the people who are who are impacted. If you look at like gay marriage, since that's the one that really impacted me as a lesbian. Even though I'd like I have nobody to marry right now, but I'd love to have somebody. Um, but the fact is that it took people of influence, it's like well-known people of influence, straight and gay, to speak out. And in general, you have to have, like, who has the most power in this country? Like, white people have the most power right now. And it's going to take white people to talk to white people to make that change.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and also, it takes something to happen to make people say, wow... I never thought about that. You know. Or people will say things like, Oh, Colin Kaepernick, why don't you just donate money to school? Right. I'm sure he's donating money to school, but you don't get to decide how he expresses himself. And I think that if you look at all the different movements like the civil rights movements for instance. I went on Marshall Washington when I was really young and you can't no group can do it alone. There's been no group that's ever done it alone. And so people need to be able to—you have to support the people that you want to support you. And if you want people to support gay marriage, whether you're a white gay person, a black gay person, a brown gay person, you also have to support other issues around equality.
5: Right, right. So I'm I'm going to—
1: Oh, go ahead.
5: I I was just going to say, let's take a quick break right here, but when we come back, let's continue our discussion about racial issues and how we can— create coalition so don't go away okay okay the michelle miel show continues right after this don't go away
0: babe i think we're ready we're really doing this yeah
7: i'm ready for our family
4: g-r-e-c-a-r-e dot com allegra home care serving your community
7: thanks for listening to the progressive voices network streaming the best in progressive talk 24 7. keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community each week we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the progressive voices network and throughout the progressive world be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
5: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. On the phone is my good friend, also diversity and professional inclusionist Sima Lieberman. And we are having a conversation about Colin Kaepernick and this need for other communities to come together, uh, especially if we are serious about change. So, you know, Sima, I I had mentioned, um, we had talked about the fact that uh, Colin's actions have really brought out the ugly in okay. a lot of of what people are thinking when it comes to racial issues. Now, police brutality, and we had this discussion before at a coffee shop, what people don't understand about police brutality and, and its relationship to the black community, oftentimes people will go there and say that, you know, blue lives matter too. Or they automatically assume that if you support this idea of change in the police system, that you're anti-police. You've heard that, right?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, all the time.
5: And you know, how do you how do you have a discussion about that? Because I know you're doing your own thing, and you're talking about race issues. And, and right now, we just can't get away. Uh, you know, in terms of talking about racial issues without also talking about police brutality.
1: That's right. Right. You know, and I mean and I've been w i have been and I've worked with a lot of police and I've had some really great done some great work with police and I've been trying to get like in San Francisco and in Berkeley um conversations with police and, and community, but I haven't gotten very much response um from the people who would you know, from the political people. But I think that we need to look at, I mean, there's a lot of issues because if you, for, I'll just, I'm trying to think of, like, how to even context it. I mean, it's, it's it's a complicated issue and a simple issue. And a simple issue is that there really is bias against a lot of black about of black people, a lot of cops, particularly white, but not all white, cops are afraid of black people because they don't know any black people. They only know what they've heard. They've only known... They know what they heard. They know what they've seen. I did some work with them, some correctional... I, I trained a, about a thousand correctional officers several years ago. And one of the white correctional officers came up to me, and he said, you got to understand, he said, here's this young white guy near from Bakersfield or wherever. They've, the only black and brown people they know have been the people that they see in the jail. And so that's their idea of black and brown people. They've never had any real conversation. And so they go in afraid. And then you have black and brown people who... They know about a lot of cops. They've seen their friends get killed, or they've been treated like crap, or they've been they've been up, and so that's how that's how they see each other. They see each other as a monolith,
6: mm-hmm. and I
1: think that that's a problem. And then another problem is that I don't think that people, that police are trained well enough. I don't think that they're being um, vetted very well enough, and I think that a lot of people a lot of people who are coming in to be cops nowadays. Um, have maybe have military backgrounds or are trained militarily, but they're really not trained in terms of people building relationships. And, um, and people say, well, so-and-so was robbing a store, or so-and-so had a gun, so of course he was killed. Mm-hmm. You could argue that if that was true for when you're dealing with white people, because white people, they will talk down. Black people, they will just kill.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you say, well, why did you have to kill them? They'll say, well, we were taught that, when we're in a dangerous situation, we have to shoot to kill because, like, the bo- the main part of the body is the biggest part of the body to hit. Well, all of that is true if, in fact, that was equal, but it's not. Because if it's a white person, they won't have that same kind of fear. They'll identify more with the white person. They will talk that white person down.
5: hmm Now... In- this is like a, a, a conversation that I also had and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, In which a lot of people blame liberal white progressives on making the situation worse and in kind of like creating the divisive um, attitudes that exist within our own progressive communities that make it worse because we're actually not really impacting or driving any change. And, and, and I kind of agree with that. I do. I find that there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of people who think they're doing the right thing by calling attention to these issues, but are, are very arrogant about what they're saying.
1: Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I, I could, oh, first, let me just say this. I also know a lot of cops that are trying to make a difference. And I think that that's really important for us to note, that we have to think about the fact that there are some cops, that there are a lot of cops that are really trying to make a difference and that it's doing change and that are talking to people. I think the issue with a lot of white liberals is um, that they want to dictate what people should be doing. They want to dictate what black people should be doing. They want to dictate what everybody should be doing. And say in that way... um, it's an issue, and that way, it's not helping. And I see a lot of white people. I see. I see a lot of white people who will speak out against police brutality,
6: mm-hmm.
1: will speak out against racism, but they don't really see it as their as their issue. They don't really see themselves as part of something greater than themselves, right. And they don't really have a lot of interaction with people of color. And I don't mean just black people.
5: I think you're right so on.
1: Living in their white, they're living in they're living in their white silo,
5: mm-hmm. and long
1: wrong people are living in a white silo. That, they're still.
6: Mm-hmm. making
1: people of color as a monolith, you know, where you think that, like, all, all black people are poor. All
6: right. people
1: of color are disenfranchised. That's just not true. And so they're coming in with this, like, I got to save them type of mentality. Yeah. And to, to make a real change, this mm-hmm. is what I believe or what I think, you have to see yourself as part of something greater than yourself. So you have to see yourself as even, like, part of being, like, a little bit black, being a little bit brown, whatever, being a little bit gay. That when people say something about black people, say something racist, or say something about Asian people, you have to take it personally. You have to see that they're speaking against you. Because a lot of times people go, Well, we're, we're allies. But people have to go beyond being an ally. They, be mm-hmm. be be, they have to be a no, And they have to realize, OK, so I'm like, I have privilege, but so what can I do with my privilege? How do I? This is why life is important when white people do speak out, white people to influence, and white people who influence do speak out. Mm-hmm. How are you using your privilege? Well, like Colin, uh, Colin, he's using his privilege. He's using his sports privilege, his wealth privilege, um, to be able to speak out. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to, you know, you have some, some black, per- you have some dark-skinned black person because, you know, people are very color-conscious in terms of white and dark, you know, white people, like, the more white somebody is, the more, you know, they think, oh, they don't have a right to, to speak out for anybody. Um just kneeling during the national anthem. Nobody is going to care. It's not going to make a difference, and it's not going to be any kind of conversation. And I think what Colin's doing, for whatever reason he's doing, whether he's doing it as an individual, whether it's emotional, whether it's that, whatever it is, it's really helping the conversation along. Mm-hmm. And we need to keep, and the conversation has to keep going, but at the same time, like for, when you talk about like white liberals, they need to come out of their silo bag and and be a little uncomfortable because once you get uncomfortable then you can become comfortable
5: we have a few minutes and uh i have a, a question for you it's a heavy one so we'll just take that few minutes that we have for this last question i want to give you an example of uh, you know this problem that i'm seeing within the lgbtq community and in mm. in, in it's it's not shocking to me that, you know, the LGBTQ big organizations or the community in general hasn't um, immediately joined hands with other black activists who are queer as well, by the way. Yeah. Like Alicia yeah. Garza from Black Lives Matter, one of the founders. Yeah. Um, and uh, in kind of fighting at the forefront for for black people and black issues. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. You know, just the other day I did an interview with Jasmine Abdullah, a Black Lives Matter protester who was, uh, I think, the first African-American woman to be convicted of felony lynching from Pasadena for, quote unquote, or allegedly interfering with an arrest. Um, And Jasmine had come on the show to talk about the fact that Jasmine was an employee of Equality California, an LGBTQ rights organization who let her go based off of a criminal investigation and that was prior to the conviction I see this as a problem this is problematic this is again part of the system part of the process that incriminates black people and put them in a system uh, that becomes then a disadvantage for them and also puts them in a system in which I'd see a cyclical, you know, or cyclical poverty, if that, because now Jasmine's got a record. Jasmine's jobless. I, I think my question to you really is about gay leaders not really understand, not understanding racial issues, and I think it's okay for us to point yeah. that out.
1: Oh, you and I, Michelle, you and I have been pointing it out for a long time, and. That's an issue in that of, of LGBT leader. they it become, it's white. It's because they, the media, oftentimes the media will portray LGBT as white, and, LG, and LGBT leaders will portray LGBT as white. And like they'll say, well, we're going to do some work in diversity. Okay, what are you going to do? Well, we're doing LGBT training. That is one piece of diversity, it's not, but it's not really diversity training or diversity consulting. It's one piece. And within the LGBT community, you know, there's a lot of racism in the LGBT community. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and it, has, it hasn't changed in all these years. It, 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 I mean, that piece hasn't changed where you see, you know, a lot of people like in your silos. And it's like um, people of color don't count. hmm Mm -hmm. And I think it's an issue. I mean, I see one person speaking about it is Kate, Kate Kendall. Um, But I don't see anybody else speaking about it
5: either. And Kate Kendall is the executive director of National Um, Center for Lesbian Rights. Um, Sima, I want to thank you so much for your time and for joining us in these racial conversations. I know I mentioned it before throughout the show that you also do your own uh, conversations, some content. Where can people find uh, find out more about you and what you do and, and follow you for your work?
1: Oh, go to my, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Look me up on LinkedIn, Sima Lieberman. Or you could just go to my website, com, which has my phone number and my email information and all of that. And um, welcome, welcome, welcome calls, welcome inquiries. Welcome, and I, I'll answer any question. We'd love, love to hear from people.
5: Sima, thanks again. And let's have coffee soon.
1: Yes, thank you.
5: The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
8: You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
5: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Miel, your host, and uh, I've been promising him for over 24 hours now, and he's finally on the phone with us. That's right, award-winning <laughs> and our favorite gay comedian, Bruce Valanche. Bruce, welcome to the show.
9: Wow, thank you. I know, it's been hard to pin me down. I had a dentist thing yesterday, and I was very busy drooling on myself most of the day.
5: <laughs> you mean you don't drool on yourself
9: uh, all the time? Well, you know, I, I guess yes, <laughs>
6: <laughs> yes,
9: but this was like there was extra drudgish going on. Oh, well. it, was, uh, it was distressing <laughs> to everybody. I, I'm <laughs> glad goes in range.
5: I'm glad you got that taken care of. Uh, we're so excited <laughs> to have you here on the show, but also more excited about the fact that you're coming to San Francisco. You'll be a part of the Richmond Ermet AIDS Foundation event that's coming up, right?
9: I will Monday night, September twelfth. Marines Memorial Theater, with a cast of beautiful, the Carol King musical. Yes. And we're doing a Motown evening, because, you know, um, these kids sing Carol King eight times a week in their show. And uh, Carol started at the Brill Building writing rhythm and blues songs for black acts. So there are a whole lot of black people in the show, and they are dying to sing Motown. Because they don't get to eight times a week, they have to sing everything but Motown.
5: Mm-hmm.
9: So uh, it's going to be pretty fabulous, I
5: think. Well, we're really excited for that. So I will definitely make sure to let everyone know where to get their tickets. But since we have you on the show, this actually might be um, my very first time being able to talk to you one on one. So I wanted to. Mm-hmm. There are some some questions I'm dying to ask, and and one, you know, just because um, my middle name is actually Meow. My, yes. mom, my mom had the dream about, you know, this cat. Uh, how do you feel about uh, cats today?
9: <laughs> uh, I can't wait to see the revival. <laughs> Leona Lewis on Broadway, who, looking at the most glamorous Grizabella in history. Uh, I love cats. I'm allergic to them. I think I may be allergic to that show also, but that remains <laughs> to be seen. Well, well, yeah, I'll have to figure that one out. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm perfectly happy. I thought you were going to ask me if I... Really broke up Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston. and I've been denying it all day. So I, I just guess I should go on record one more time, so people people know there's nothing between me and either of them
5: or both <laughs> of them. I actually was going to ask if anything ever happened between you and Bet since you worked or Bet Midler since you worked with her for so long or if, well, if
9: something would have happened if i had been straight and i'd lost 30 pounds <laughs> <laughs> neither one of those things ever occurred so
5: <laughs> well what was it like working with bet
9: well you know i've been doing it for 45 years which is difficult because she's only 36 <laughs> and it was it was I, we I, we were both so young when when we uh, met and started out, I mean, it was it was the beginning of everything for me. I was uh, a child actor who had become a journalist, and then I met her and did a story on her and began writing for her, and suddenly I was really deeply in show business, and it just never went away. Uh, she's uh, an incredibly exciting personality. I mean, she's she's nuts and uh, <laughs> in all the best ways—the ways all the, the the way all the best divas are. She. she synthesizes it and puts it out there and on stage and in her work and it's it was thrilling to be a part of that process
6: mm-hmm.
5: well you just mentioned it you know you've been writing and, and doing this for so for a while and with you know just kind of your talent uh, it, it always evolves like what do you think your talent has evolved to today I mean in terms of like your work and your stand up your writing even yeah
9: um, <laughs> It's a pretty good question. What has it evolved to? Uh, <laughs> you know, then you look at the arc of people, of talented people, and you think, gee, well, this, he was at the peak of his powers. I love when they say that. He's at the peak of his powers. And I have a feeling that when you are at the peak of your powers, you're not, you're not aware of it. <laughs> or, you know, it's for other people will decide later on that you're on the decline. You're just putting it out there. You're just, you know, just doing it. Uh, I, I mean, I think that... Uh, if anything, and this is kind of you know boring over the years I've acquired the knack of knowing what's needed when um and and to to the ability of cutting to the chase and saying, well, this is here we need this joke and here we need that joke or this is what's gonna really happen, and this is what this is what we dream is gonna happen, and this is what's really gonna happen and you 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 sort of understand that when you're young, everything is possible, and then as you as you get more experience, you realize uh, here are the parameters of what really is possible, and here's how we can make it work. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was a dreary Home Depot kind of answer, you know—the <laughs> the kind of thing that would it's like—it's it's something you read in the manual. Only in the manual, it would be written in that kind of trans-Pacific uh, language that's like you know, neither English nor Japanese. Um, I,
5: I, I mean, I. I... I was just fascinated kind of like your by your journey and you've been able to work with so many people especially in Hollywood and and being an Emmy award winner in in that way so I was just, you know, kind of thinking about how that might be applied to where we're at within the gay rights movement. And if anything has changed in that way, I know that you had mentioned in an, an article that I read that you you have worked with so many LGBTQ people over the period of your career. And now that, yeah. you know, a lot more people are out, you know, are we just kind of all working together and being super gay all the time? <laughs>
9: Well, those of us who want to be super gay all the time are super gay all the time. Sure. I mean, there are more of us there. And somebody said to me uh, a few years ago, what happened? Did the mothership land and everybody got off? I said, no, we we came out. We started coming out. We we made that a priority for each other. We encouraged each other to identify ourselves because we realized the only way we were going to get our civil rights was to, to be visible. And so from, uh, as Mike Nichols once said, uh, from being the love that dare not speak its name, we became the love that won't shut up. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Um, I wanted to get your thoughts and, you know, like, Bette Midler tweeted out this thing about Caitlyn Jenner, and there's all this talk right now in Hollywood about um, the transgender community and how even, you know, uh, someone like Matt Bomer, for example, a cisgender gay man playing a transgender woman is problematic. I mean, uh, what do you think? I don't know why that's so problematic.
9: Serious. I mean, I, mean I, I know why people think it's problematic. I mean, he's an actor playing a part. This is, still, this is not democracy. This is art. And uh, if only transgender actors can play transgender parts, then we might as well just hang it up right now. I think it's a... I understand where it comes from. I think it's a stupid argument. I know where it comes from. It comes from the lack of opportunity for transgender people. Uh, and I guess what that translates to is that they that they want to play, um, transgender women want to play men, and uh, they want to have the opportunities that, that cisgender people have, and I think that they should, absolutely. I mean, Laverne Cox is doing the Rocky Horror show. The, they did not write uh, uh, Frankenfurter as a transgender. She was uh, an, old, an old-fashioned uh, um, transvestite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they threw in transsexual because it uh, it was, I don't think they meant it literally. I think they just meant it it crosses sexuality. So I I think it's kind of a speechless argument. I once had this argument with Colleen Dewhurst, who was a great actress who was the president of Actors' Equity, and it was during Miss Saigon where um, they uh, they were protesting uh, a, uh, a white actor playing a Eurasian, and it came, it flowed from the same place. It was from a lot of Asian actors saying there were no opportunities for Asian actors. As a result, they canceled the show and 43 Asian actors were put out of work. And uh, I said to colleague Dewhurst, uh, She said, well, I said, does this mean that, that a white actor can't play Othello anymore? And she said, well, yes, that's what basically what it means. And so I said, so you can only play blousy Irish drunks
6: <laughs>
9: because... She was a great actress, but she was also a blousy Irish drunk. And she said, "Point taken." Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she left the table. But mm-hmm. my point has always been: it's art, and uh, you can't legislate art. And uh, I always understand where, where something is coming from. I don't. I don't. Uh, but I think that transgender people who are newly active in politically tend to be as humorless as all people who are newly active politically are. And they just don't get that the world is bigger than those little strictures mm. that they put themselves in.
5: Mm. And I mentioned Bette Midler earlier, just because of a, a tweet that some people found offensive. Uh, she tweeted out um, something about Caitlyn Jenner and, uh, you know, and, she and, wasn't
9: making fun of transgender people. She was making fun of people who monetize their situation.
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
9: The idea that, that many of us... First of all, Caitlyn Jenner is no, no friend to our community. Mm-hmm. She is a rock-ribbed Republican, and if you read their party platform, you know what they want to do to us. We're one step away from Auschwitz-Birkenau, as far as they're concerned. Right. They would like to eliminate us from the face of the earth. Right. So she is no friend to the movement. Uh, I understand that that she is educated a lot of people to the idea that transgender people exist, which is certainly, you know, she's also made a lot of money doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was what it was in reference to. It's like, was, was this whole thing some kind of stunt? Which many people believe. Mm-hmm. Because it's all, anything that comes out of Kardashian is highly suspect. <laughs> and that certainly was their prime product last season. That and Kim Kardashian's butt. <laughs> so uh, I don't see that as a, as a slam on transgender people at all. I see it as a slam on something else. Yeah, but it, As I said before, I think a lot of newly active people lose their sense of humor when they get politically active.
5: That was just my you know, uh, question, my next question and you being in comedy, being a part of Hollywood, and having worked you know, for so long in the industry, now that we're out, I mean, can't we laugh? at each other about each other can we can we have some humor in in kind of what we do or is it
9: too early well it's too early for some of us i mean you know i wrote for the advocate 20 years ago and one of the things i wrote that there was we're the only political movement that each is young we're so busy fighting with each other that we have no time to fight the enemy we create the enemy out of ourselves and and the, the real enemy loves that. They're just happy as ghouls mm. when we pick fights with each other,
6: mm-hmm.
9: because they don't pick fights with each other. They just go right ahead and stab you in the jugular.
5: <laughs> yeah.
9: And yeah. it's a lesson that we can learn, that we are, we are not our, each other's enemy.
5: Right, right. So speaking of which, in terms of uh, coalition building, coming together and, and preserving not just our history, but uh, in a way all these iconic organizations that have done so much for our community, like the Richmond Ermet AIDS Foundation that has been doing the work that they've been doing for over 20 years. Um, right. For you, I mean, yes, there's time and a place to be extremely funny, if not offensive, but it, it sounds like it's also very important to continue working in, within the community.
9: Yeah, it is. Listen, first of all, any comedian is going to be offensive to somebody at some point i mean that's the nature of a joke is that you either, you either get it or you don't you take it or you don't uh somebody is always going to be uh, upset by something mm-hmm. and i get, I, and I get upset by things so i'm i'm not immune uh what richmond ambulance has been doing for uh for 20 years is uh, is funding money to other smaller charities that can't afford to uh to market themselves and uh, and do fundraisers like that. Right. And it's uh, it's a service charity, basically.
5: Right. Well, Bruce, it's been awesome having you on the show, and I love talking to you. Hey! I think next time... We were I, very
9: it, serious, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> you know, Kardashians will do that. I mean... <laughs>
5: <laughs> you got me. You got me. That's like my go-to show that I watch all the time.
9: <laughs> really? Well, well I- of time. See, I was on reality television. I did the Celebrity Fit Club, and the first rule of reality TV is nothing is real.
6: Yeah, yeah.
9: That's the, the important thing is that it's, it's not scripted the way uh, Hamlet is scripted, but... It's filled with people who are uh, producers who are nudging you in the direction that they want to get. They're trying to get you angry so that they can get that on camera, because mm-hmm. that's good television.
5: Mm-hmm. I actually, no, I hate the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll watch some other stuff. Fine, I'll throw in, you know, one question I did want to ask, but I thought it might be too silly. Um, not sure if you, you tuned into the VMAs, but maybe you've seen some yeah, of the performances.
9: Of Sure.
5: So, what do you I think? I wrote the
9: first one. So, <laughs> yeah. The first one that that Midler hosted it was Dan Aykroyd. Right. So, what do
5: you, you know, what, what do you the, think?
9: It was uh, the, it, the big award went to a dinosaur. I can't remember who, who it was. It was back in the Jurassic period when we did that show. <laughs> anyway, so of course I always watch it because I want to see how it's evolved.
5: <laughs> well, what do you think of Britney Spears big triumphant comeback?
9: Uh, Well, I thought it was kind of sad because the whole show was full of of girls uh, gyrating and grinding. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just that it was kind of uh, relentless, I thought. And and unfortunately, she was not uh, in the top tier when you have Rihanna out there four times. And you had Beyonce doing 16 minutes of God knows what. Um, <laughs> and here comes poor old Brittany with her lip sync and her two dancers, and it all kind of looked a little bit uh, like the state fair. And, <laughs> or, and she has a new face. I didn't even recognize it. <laughs> I mean, she really does. She went and got the whole new face. So uh, uh-huh. there's, her old face is in there somewhere. Oh, uh, so yeah. anyway, I don't think it was her finest hour. <laughs> Although I have to, I'm dying to, to see her in Vegas. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I've missed. I saw Jennifer Lopez already. Her show was fabulous. Yeah. I, I'm dying to see what Brittany had. I mean, none of them do any, any comedy or anything, but I do just love watching the whole spectacle of it.
5: Yeah, maybe that's her. their her game thing now. Uh, that's part of her game is making you feel so bad for her on TV. You'll go see her in Vegas.
9: <laughs> Really? Oh, my God. A, p- a pity ticket.
5: <laughs> Bruce, you are so wonderful. I love you. I love your show. And we can't wait right. to see you in San Francisco right. September 12th. Thanks so much for being on the show.
9: Thank you. Take
5: care. Get your tickets now to One Night Only. It's a benefit cabaret with the cast of beautiful Bruce Valanche. Uh, will be there. So get your tickets at reef-sf.org. Don't go away. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to close the show down with some final thoughts and also uh, give you some teasers for some upcoming shows. So don't go away.
0: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family.
4: G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
5: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. We're so lucky to have Bruce Valanche on. You can tell, I mean, he's got a lot of substance to him, not just being funny. Um, Yeah, he actually is incredibly talented for a lot of us who know of him in the LGBTQ community talented writer and has won numerous Emmy Awards yeah so incredible right I always just get so geeked out by cool people um, that we can claim as our own he's gay <laughs> anyway I, I started the uh, interview earlier discussing cats and I asked him about you know how he felt about cats today and that's because if you don't know um, he did a, uh, a skit about cats so I think I'm gonna play it let's get this clip going
0: so I'm right up there with Usher. <laughs> All the great Broadway names now. Uh, I have now. I have, you know, I have to find my center. Okay. A sadist. A masochist. A pyromaniac. A zoophiliac. A serial killer and a necrophiliac are having tea. (laughs) It could happen. The sadist says, let's find a cat and torture it. And the pyromaniac says, let's find a cat, torture it, set fire to it. And the zoophiliac says, let's find a cat, torture it, set fire to it, and fuck it. <laughs> and the serial killer says, let's find a cat, torture it, set fire to it, fuck it, and kill it. <laughs> and the necrophiliac says, let's find a cat, torture it, set fire to it, fuck it, kill it, and fuck it again. (laughs) And the masochist says, (laughs) meow.
5: (laughs) Pretty funny, huh? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) If you're into that kind of stuff. Um, Anyway, thanks so much again for joining me here on the program. Had a great conversation with Sima Lieberman, uh, who's a diversity and inclusionist professional. She works with a lot of companies in helping them with their policies to provide that kind of workplace, but also does a lot of her own uh, content and shows and she's produced with me before on the Michelle Miao show and talking about racial issues and you know I, I have a lot of thoughts lately about racial issues and how some of us within the LGBTQ community who are people of color feel I, I think abandoned is a good word if not abandoned definitely frustrated with the lack of support and I know that there are a lot of organizations and or activists out there who, who do support the idea of battling the racist system that exists, but it's not enough. And if the LGBTQ movement had borrowed from the civil rights movement and also had tapped into, you know, a black queer activist to do the work in their black community – for marriage equality or for our equal rights movement why is it so difficult for black queer activists to then turn around and ask lgbtq activists and leaders to support their organization their vision of fighting you know police things like police brutality things like poverty within our our communities i mean when we look at the numbers and the data is there you know lgbtq people who are homeless tend to be lgbtq people who are youths and or people of color who are transgender who are really the most marginalized within our own community so if the lgbtq leaders who are really high up there are not paying attention to these issues not only are they not supporting black issues they're not supporting Asian American issues they're not supporting you know the Latino community. Uh, But they're also letting go a large population of our own LGBTQ community, and that is why intersectionality and talking about that matters so much. So I appreciate the work of so many activists who are queer, who are people of color, who are transgender, who are being courageous and stepping outside of uh, a a not-so-safe zone for them to begin with to do this type of work and in that matter. So that's why we have these discussions. That's why it's important to have discussions with other people, even if you're you're not black. I'm not saying that we should be speaking for black people, but we should absolutely be there when they when the black queer activists need us or when the transgender activists need us. Um you know, at the same time I hear so many people within our own community, the LGBTQ community, who want us to live after achieving marriage equality, um, in kind of relaxing a little bit and um, embracing or acclimating to a heteronormative society or society that sees, you know, heterosexuals before they see any other sexual orientation or sexual minorities, um, and uh, you know, good for good for you if you're you're living a great life after marriage equality. I'm happy for you. But it just doesn't mean that we leave everyone else behind. So that's kind of the the point of, you know, the interview today and then also in and having Bruce Valanche on the show, a breath of fresh air, we can laugh. We can be humorous, but at the same time, let's think about what's the most tactical way to achieve what we need to in terms of change and progress. Thanks again for joining me here on the program. I'm here Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. You can catch John Zipper on Friday with his week-to-week political roundtable talk. And then on Sunday is B.B. Sweetbriar with It's Everything with B.B. Sweetbriar. And uh, I, I will see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com.
2: Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. (music) Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransHack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. Um, it's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in, in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write and direct my own films, but also was just kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing, all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life, personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. it's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards. Of all types of people, in, in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure, um, but that's also exciting in the fact that like um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success.
4: Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far.